Hi, everyone, and welcome back to the Legal Matters Podcast, brought to you by the California Association of Realtors. I'm Jana Gardner, here as always with my colleague Dana Spears. Hello! We have a great episode for you this month. We're going to be speaking with Robert Bloom, CAR Senior Counsel, and going over everything you need to know about AB 1482, the new statewide rent cap and just cause eviction law. Sounds good. But before that, we have a form spotlight. We have a lot to cover today, so let's get right into it. Welcome to our monthly form spotlight segment. This month, we are going to focus on CAR form PVR, the photo and video agreement and release form. Oh, great. So let's discuss what this form is used for. Sure. So this form is a general release for you as an agent that protects you when using images for marketing the property as well as promoting your business and yourself. So basically, if agents take photographs or videos of the homes associated with their listings, they can use this agreement to obtain the consent of the seller to publish and otherwise use the images or videos for marketing purposes. Right, and it can be even used for broader reasons than that. This consent extends to any adults, minor children, and pets that may appear in any images or on any videos. Ah, so that if the if their animals are around or the kids are around or right. Happy grandma, grandma families yeah, are around, exactly. saying, okay, great. Um, further, the agent can edit the photos, the images, uh, meaning mm-hmm. they can crop them, enhance them, or make other alterations that they want. Also, they can copy, exhibit, and publish the photos or videos for their various uses. Right, this is true. Uh, Form PVR designates the agent as the owner of the images and videos, including what's called any derivative work. So basically, once this form is signed and the agent has the right to the videos or photos, They can more or less do what they want with them. All rights are retained by the agent without any payment or royalties owed to the client. Ah, okay. And the form, it's pretty easy, I think. It's a pretty simple little form to complete. You just indicate the images or videos that are to be used and who appears in them, including all of the adults, all of the kids, all of the pets, right? Right, exactly. So then everyone signs the form to finalize the agreement, which releases any rights that the client might have in the photos or videos. Mm -hmm. So the most common example we see of this kind of situation is you know, maybe after a deal's closed, you want to take one of those celebratory photos of your clients in front of their new house, holding oh, yeah. their keys, everyone's mm-hmm. happy and smiling, maybe their kids are there, their pets are there. You know, now a lot of people I think already do that, mm-hmm. and maybe they don't realize you really have to have actually the right to right, use people's on. photographs. Yeah, they put be... them on their accounts, exactly. right? Exactly, they like put them on Facebook or Twitter, and they use Instagram, them to promote, whatever, yeah. exactly, to promote mm-hmm. their business, which is great. So what, by having this form signed, and having the client sign off on the use of their property and their personal or their family's images, now you can use those photographs in your marketing and be protected and know that, you know, no one can come back and make you take it down. Right. And it's a one page, really easy to use, simple form. Mm-hmm. And that's really all there is to it. So it's a great means of protecting your right to use the photographs and images. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. And there's just one last point I want to address, because this is a common hotline question that we get, uh, which is, what's the difference between this form we're discussing, the PVR, and another form in the library, which is form PIA, the Property Images Agreement? Mm -hmm. Good point. Yeah. So it can can get us a little bit confused. It's the two different forms we have that both relate to images and photographs. So as we've talked about, the PVR is between agents and their clients for the release of their personal likeness or that of their homes and photographs and video, whereas the PIA form, the property images agreement, that's between an agent 
and a third party, typically a photographer, who grants the agent an assignment or exclusive license to use for marketing purposes, photos, videos, or other images that that third party actually took that were taken by that other person. Mm -hmm. And so the PIA addresses if you're going to be paying anything for the use of those images also. Right. So that's to a third party, but not to your own client. <clears throat> right. Exactly. Just the one the PVR it's addresses. typically like a right. professional photographer who yeah. you have take beautiful photographs of whatever, you know, you're listing. Right. All right. So those two forms serve totally different purposes, but equally important purposes. So. Absolutely. Yeah. That's correct. Mm -hmm. So that's it for this segment, then. Yeah, I think that about does it. I think that's everything you need to know about Form PVR. Great. So we are very fortunate today to be joined by Robert Bloom, Senior Counsel here at CAR, who's going to talk to us all about our main topic today, which is... The Rent Cap and Just Cause Eviction. Right. You may know that new law is AB 1482, and you also may have heard Robert talk about it if you tuned into our most recent Legal Live webinar mm -hmm. at the beginning of November. He gave us an update on all the new laws, including this one, but today we're really going to focus on specifically the rent cap and just cause eviction law. So right. it's pretty complicated. Yeah, let's, let's jump get to right it. in. Yeah. yeah. So Robert, what is this new rent cap law all about? Okay. Well, I'm glad I've been asked to be on this podcast, yeah. but the rent cap law, it's the, the important thing to realize about it, it's a state wide rent cap and just cause eviction law. So completely brand new, just game changing law of epic proportions. <laughs> wow. <laughs> well, it's a big deal. <laughs> it is. It's statewide. So basically landlords are now limited to how much they can raise the rent each year before they weren't. And landlords can no longer evict just because they want to. They have to have a reason. Mm. Okay, so let's talk about the rent cap part of this law. What is the maximum rent? It's 5% plus inflation in any given 12-month period. But no matter what the inflation rate is, the most the rent can go up by is 10%. So 5% plus inflation. Okay, with a 10% overall maximum. Right. So that sounds kind of complicated to figure out. 5% plus inflation. Is there a chart available that just tell someone what the maximum rent amount is going to be that they can raise their rent by? Yeah. So the new law webinar, which I did, I think, about two or three weeks ago, that has a chart available which simply tells you the county by county uh, rent increase that's allowable. And the rent increase is actually calculated based upon the Department of Labor Statistics figures. It's the April to April month. So you can really just look at the chart, at least until next April when the numbers will be changing. Sure. And just so everyone knows, I will go ahead and put a link in our show notes to Great. the webinar materials and all of that. So when, when you've listened to this, you can go look in the show notes and you'll, I'll give you a right. link to where you can get this information Before on our website. Before it takes effect. You can exactly. look at it right now. In <laughs> fact, when does this take effect, Robert? Well, the law actually takes effect on January 1st of next year, 2020. But the thing to realize is that for the rent cap, there is a look-back period, and look-back period is to March 15th. So the rent increase maximum applies to all of your rent increases going back to March 15th. Of this year? Of this year, yes, of okay. this year. So mm -hmm. if you raise the rent this year by more than the rent increase maximum, let's say you raise the rent by 10%, mm -hmm. then starting January 1st of next year, you're going to have to lower that rent, and it lowers automatically starting January 1st. Does the landlord have to refund any money that they collected 
above the 10% amount for this year, or does the rent they, just go down? They don't. Oh. The, the rent just does just go down, oh. but the landlord is not required to refund any so-called overpayment. They get to keep that. Okay, great. So speaking of raising rent, what happens when a tenant moves out? Can the landlord, are they still restricted by this 5% plus inflation maximum? Or when the tenant moves out and they're looking for a new tenant, can they raise the rent by as much as they want? They can raise the rent by as much as they want. Great. <laughs> so this is, well, it has the vacancy decontrol component. So essentially, when the tenant moves out, then you're no longer restricted by the rent cap, mm. and you can raise it to market rates when the new tenant comes in. Okay. Great. So, okay, that's the rent cap. What's this just cause provision like? What's that all about? Okay, well, the just cause is, is also just huge. It's just so important. The, the, the important thing to realize is that previously, a landlord was entitled to evict for no cause or for any cause but not an illegal cause. Now that's that's all gone now. Mm. Right now under just cause, well starting January 1st, there's going to be 15 reasons which the landlord can evict on and it, the landlord has to use one of those 15 reasons and the reason has to be stated in the notice. Okay, so <clears throat> it looks like just cause, does it apply to every tenant or does it only apply to certain tenants? When does the just cause uh, like, who does it apply to? Sure. The, the just cause eviction rules will only apply to a tenant if that tenant has, in fact, been in the property for 12 months. Now, there's some complicated rules about when a tenant is added, but really, for, for most just think about the 12-month rule. It doesn't apply until the tenant's been legally occupying the property for 12 months. Okay. So if it applies to tenants who've been in the property for 12 months, can I create like a trial period? Can I make have my tenants have like a six month lease? How, how might that work? Yeah, you, you can absolutely have a trial period. You could have a six month lease mm -hmm. or, or just go month to month. Um, one thing to keep in mind though, is at the end of this trial period, if you're dissatisfied with the tenant and you don't think this tenant should be your tenant long term, you need to be cognizant of perhaps retaliatory evictions. If a tenant makes a complaint about habitability, you're still going to be subject to the retaliatory eviction rules. But un theoretically, at that point, you would be entirely uh, permitted to evict without cause. Hmm. So there are 15 reasons to evict, you said. Um, what are they? Right. Okay, so the 15 reasons are divided into at fault and no fault. Um, and there's 11 at-fault reasons. The big ones are going to be non-payment of rent and breach of a material term uh, of the lease. Now there's going to be a lot of other ones like nuisance, you're destroying the property, illegal use of the property, criminal activity, various things, but really the ones that the landlords are going to be looking at as a practical matter are just the two big ones. Non-payment of rent, and breach of material term of the lease. Right, because those are the ones they face normally right now the most. Right. Yeah, okay. And so to evict on one of those basis, do you just give a three-day notice like you do now? Is it the same process? Well, it is the same process for the three-day notice to pay rent or quit. 
but for the uh, notice to perform a covenant or quit, that is actually a slightly different process. And it's not really a completely intuitive process. You start with a three-day notice to perform, but not three-day notice to perform covenant or quit, just three-day notice to perform. Okay. And if the tenant does not perform within those three days, then you're entitled to give another notice, this time a straight-up notice to quit. Mm. No cure period. I mean, you could put a cure period in, into it, but you're not required to. So it doesn't quite make sense, but that's how it works. So it's like a six-day yeah, <laughs> notice six in day. two parts. Okay. 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 All right. All right. So those are the at-fault. Now, you said there's also no-fault reasons. What are those? Right. So there are four no-fault reasons. Well, what does no-fault mean anyway? Well, the tenant's not doing anything wrong. Ah, okay. okay. Yeah, so they're not, they're not at fault, but the landlord still has a legal basis for terminating the tenancy. And the four no-fault reasons are going to be owner occupancy when the owner moves in themselves or a spouse or domestic partner, children, grandchildren, that, that type of relative. Mm -hmm. Withdrawal from, of the property from the rental market. The landlord has the right to withdraw the property from the rental market. Substantial remodeling or demolition of the property and compliance with a government order to vacate. Those are the four no-fault reasons. Mm. Okay. So you mentioned one of the reasons is if the owner or a member of their immediate family is moving into the property, is there a certain length of time that they have to now remain in the property or live there once they move back in? Right. Well, you, you might think so, but sure. actually, <laughs> actually the law doesn't really say. It's okay. completely silent wow. on that issue. So I would tell you, however, that you can't move into the property without an actual intent of occupying or residing there. Sure. That would be a type of fraud. Mm. So I mean, I think as a practical matter, you're going to want to stay in at least six months. But even s framing it like that is giving a wrong impression. You can't frame it, oh, I'm going to stay in six months and then leave. Right. You have to have the intent to reside in the property. Mm. Okay. Now, the one that caught my ear was the substantial remodeling. Um, how substantial does the remodel have to be? Very substantial. <laughs> oh. <laughs> you have to be sort of destroying the, well, I can't say destroying the property, but it has to be something, quote, structural, electrical, plumbing, or mechanical. It has to have something that requires a permit. Hmm. And it has to be something that would require the tenant to vacate for at least 30 days to complete. Now, hmm. it that portion of the law adds that the substantial remodeling cannot be cosmetic improvements alone, such as painting or decorating, or minor repairs or other work that can be safely performed without having the property vacated. Oh, so major, major. Yeah, yeah. yeah not okay. a fresh coat of paint. That's not going to happen. No. <laughs> okay. All right, so we talked about the at-fault reasons and the no-fault reasons. Um, does it make a difference if you're a landlord, if you're terminating someone, whether it's an at-fault or a no-fault? is like What difference does it make? Yeah, it does make a difference. I mean, the main difference is that if you evict for no-fault, where the tenant hasn't done anything wrong, you are required to pay a relocation fee mm -hmm. to that tenant of one month's rent. So how is the landlord supposed to pay that? Well, there's, there's two possibilities there. You can either give a direct payment to the tenant within 15 days of serving the notice of intent to terminate, or the landlord can waive the final month's rent. Um, either way you do it, whether you're paying directly or waiving the final month's rent, you have to state on the termination notice which way you plan to pay the relocation fee. 
Okay, so it's up to the landlord, but they have to let the tenant know in the notice what they're going to do. Yeah, and they have mm -hmm. to comply strictly strictly with that relocation fee rule because otherwise their notice is no good. Oh. Ah, okay. Good, important to know. All right, so that was a lot of information about yeah. how the law works. <laughs> um, but one of the main questions we've been getting on the hotline, and I think what a lot of people want to know is, how do they know if the law even applies to them? Because there are exceptions to this law, right? Yeah. So oh, how, yeah, sure. what, what are those exemptions that might make people not have to follow these rules? Right, so, so the exemptions are, there's an exemption for single family properties and condos. Okay. There's an exemption for new construction. And there's an exemption for owner-occupied duplex and low-income housing. Now, the most important one is, of, well, for our purposes, sure. for our <laughs> members, mm -hmm. the most important one is going to be the exemption for single-family properties and condos. Mm. Um, but you only get the exemption if two things happen. First, the property is not owned, that is not owned by a corporation, a REIT, or an LLC, where a member of the LLC is a corporation. Mm. And two, you have provided the notice explaining the exemption to the tenant. So an LLC is okay, just not if the members of the LLC are corporate members. That's then correct. Okay, gotcha. Yeah, so, so you have the four exemptions applying to both rent cap and just cause, with the two big ones being uh, single-family condo exemption and the certificate of occupancy within the last 15 years. So what you're saying is that those exemptions apply to both the rent cap and the just cause parts of the law. But are there exemptions which only apply to one or the other? Yeah, so it's a fairly complicated law. It has exemptions which apply to both just cause and rent cap. But there's also other exemptions will, which will only apply to the just cause or the rent cap. And the two most important ones here are there's, there's two additional just cause exemptions. They only exempt a property from the just cause rule and not the rent cap. Now, the first one is for single-family property that is owner-occupied. In that case, the landlord can rent, out, can rent out up to two additional units or bedrooms, including an accessory dwelling unit or a junior accessory dwelling unit. And the second one is where the tenant shares a bathroom or kitchen facilities with an owner-occupant, but that owner-occupant must occupy the property as a principal place of residence. Mm, okay. And those are for the just cause? Yeah. So those are just those are for the just cause only. only. So that means the landlord would be possibly exempt from the just cause, but actually still subject to the rent cap. Mm, okay. But it gives a landlord because th these exemptions are for landlords <coughs> who like live in the property more or less with the tenant. So right. it kind of makes sense that they yeah. have a little bit more flexibility and getting rid of someone maybe because they don't get along or, or they're not just right. easy it, tenants or something like it that. It does make sense on, okay. that, on that basis, yeah. All right. Well, what about applying to just the rent cap? Well, if we're applying to just the rent cap, those one, there are a few which apply only to the rent cap, but those are really kind of technical and they're not going to come into play, you know, very often really. Okay. All right, so you mentioned in a couple of places that there are some notices that have to be delivered in accordance with this law. Um, you mentioned, for example, a notice for the exemption for single family properties and condos um, and notices if the owner is going to move into the property. So can you tell us a little bit about what the notice requirements are? Yeah, sure. So as you say, there's the two notices, one for the exemption for single family and condo and the other one for owner move-in. There is actually a third one 
um, which simply gives the tenant a general disclosure of their rights under the rent cap and just cause, the fact that the law even exists. Now, you might think that the notices would be delivered in the same manner and at the same time, but of course that's not really how the law works. The effective dates and delivery requirements are all a little bit different. Can you talk a little bit about that? Right. Um, it's, it's kind of complicated and we didn't want to make this incredibly complicated notice procedure for delivering each and every one. So what we did is we basically created a single addendum, the rent cap and just cause addendum, and we came up with essentially just one way of delivering all the notices. You do it one time and you're good. But it's a little bit complicated, so let me, let me explain it. So the way it works is this. If you have a month-to-month -month tenant, you deliver the notice before January, but you do this as a change in terms of tenancy. And when you do that, what you're actually doing is you're integrating the addendum into the rental agreement. By law, it becomes part of the lease. Now, if your tenants are not presently on a month-to-month, -month, but they're on a fixed-term lease, then you provide the addendum again before January, mm -hmm. as a standalone notice, right? You can't change the terms of the lease, it's fixed, but you can provide the addendum as a standalone notice. And the next time the tenants sign a renewal, it is absolutely critical that you include this addendum. Don't sign a renewal without the addendum. <laughs> so if you, if, you let, if you let a fixed term lease go month to month, I mean, you can do that, but then you need to incorporate the addendum by a change in terms of tenancy. Mm -hmm. Okay, so um, is there anything special that we need to be aware of for the exemption for single family property and condo notices when that is given? Yes, ab absolutely. So, so as I said, you give this addendum, the RCJC addendum. Mm -hmm. If you have the right for the exemption because it's a single family or a condo, then you have to, the landlord has to sign that indicating that they are entitled to that. If you don't sign, if the landlord doesn't sign it or fill it out indicating they get the exemption, then you don't get the exemption. Wow. <laughs> right? So even if the law says you're exempt, if you don't give this notice and sign it and fill it out and give it to the tenant, then you lose the exemption. Absolutely. Yeah. Wow. Oh, that's, okay. that's pretty tough. Okay, I see on our website at car.org that we also have the interim notice of exemption for single-family properties and condos. If all we need is the RCJC um, form that's coming out, why are we bothering with this interim notice? Well, I mean, a lot of people were calling <laughs> us and, yeah. frankly, getting quite antsy about this new law. Uh, rightfully so, mm -hmm. frankly. Like, what was the they needed the exemption notice so that's one reason why we why we produced it but really it's not actually necessary until december when the rcjc but there is one circumstance where you really need to have it and that is let's say you're a landlord and you have and but you're exempt you're entitled to the uh, single family property condo exemption mm -hmm. right and you've raised the rent right now above the maximum permissible amount, mm -hmm. right? Well, if you don't actually give the notice before January, then you're going to have to automatically reduce that rent. Mm. And if you don't and if you don't give the notice and you keep charging the same rent, then 
there's going to be a, a disconnect. There's going to be a problem with the amount of rent that you that you have received, and we would hate. And that this is not going to happen, except in rare circumstances. But we would hate for any landlord to somehow be evicting and then have the tenant make some, perhaps legitimate complaint that the landlord overcharged them. Mm. So that's why you need this yeah. in that in that circumstance in that unusual circumstance. You really need to give this interim notice, you know, yeah. before before, before uh, January. If you're exempt and you've raised the rent by above the limit by the ten percent right. or more, that's Ex- the most important. Exactly. Mm. Okay. And yeah, and so this is available on our website, and I will also put a link to it in the show notes so that everyone can check that out after they're listening to oh, this. Good. Yeah. So I think that sums up that pretty it? much everything. Yeah. Yeah. I think we hit <laughs> the main points of that right. very complicated right. law. Yeah. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Robert. We really appreciate hey, my, it. This my, pl- my pleasure. Oh, Robert, didn't you do a Q&A on this as well? So we have that at car.org. Yeah, the, Q- yeah, the Q&A can... is posted and it mm-hmm. gives a lot more detail. Right. Oh, okay. So Q&A, Excellent. webinar, we got all kinds of material. Um, yeah, and everyone should check Fa- it out. Face- Robert's Facebook, expert. Facebook Live. That's true. Facebook Live. If you want to watch Neil Cannon <laughs> and I on Facebook, we have, yeah, we have an Instagram post on it. Covering so. you everywhere. Yeah. All right. Well, thanks again, Robert. We appreciate it. No problem. So this wraps up another episode of the Legal Matters Podcast. Thanks again to Robert for chatting with us today and to all of you for listening. We hope you have enjoyed these first few episodes. If you have enjoyed them, the best way to make sure you never miss an episode is by subscribing to us on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or wherever you get your favorite podcasts. And while you're there, feel free to leave us a review and maybe even a five-star rating. Those reviews and ratings can help other folks find the show. You can also reach out to us here at the podcast directly with any feedback or suggestions by emailing us at legalpodcast at car.org. Finally, don't forget about all of the ways CAR Member Legal can help you stay in business and stay out of trouble. Of course, CAR members can call the legal hotline with any questions or issues at 213-739-8282, Monday through Friday, 9 to 6, and Saturday, 10 to 2, for transactional questions. Our other informational and educational materials can always be found 24-7 at car.org under the Risk Management section. Head over there to check out our Q&As, Quick Guides, webinars, and more. Talk to you next month.